Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading today is from Ezra chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, The people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices, like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. And the leaders and officials had led led the way in this unfaithfulness. When I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled my hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. Then at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my self-abasement with my tunic and cloak torn and fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Ezra is a Jewish priest, a teacher of God's way, a teacher of God's law, and he's been living in Babylon, now a part of Persia. In fact, he was born in Persia. He's never even been to Jerusalem before now. And Here's some context. Israelite history in two minutes. Abraham, father Abraham, had seven sons. Abraham. Uh, and then they end up in Egypt for a really long time. Slaves to Pharaoh, uh, you know, Moses, Red Sea, Ten Commandments, Golden Calf. The, the Israelites finally leave Egypt, called the Exodus, and they walk around for 40 years. And then they invade and conquer the Promised Land. In the Bible, then we have Joshua, Judges, Kings, Samuel, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, kings like Saul. And after Saul, Mr. Big Deal, David. And son Solomon, David's son Solomon, he builds the temple. And at this point, Israel is at the height of its power and prestige. But right away, the northern kingdom splits off. They take the name Israel with them, northern kingdom, and the kings are bad, and people start worshiping other gods alongside Yahweh, and finally, Israel falls to the Assyrians in 722 BC. I'm going to use a few dates here. It kind of gives the right context to understand what's happening now when we finally get to the time of Ezra. 722 BC, northern kingdom is gone. The southern kingdom is called Judah, capital Jerusalem, and they still have the temple, and therefore we can never be defeated until we are. In 587 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, 587, Judah falls. Goodbye, yellow brick road. And goodbye, temple And goodbye, Ark of the Covenant. That's the last time we hear of the Ark of the Covenant in Scripture. The the people get hauled off to Babylon, and we call this 
The Exile. And it's kind of an interesting bookend between Exodus and now Exile. And it looks like the story may be over. But no, the exile, it starts off a revolution, a rebirth, what it means to be Hebrews, what it means to be followers of Yahweh, Yahweh's people, Yahweh's community. And so we get to Cyrus of Persia. Cyrus defeats Babylon, and now he's in charge. And he allows the, ex the exiles to return and resettle Jerusalem if they want to. This is now 536 B.C. The temple is rebuilt, kind of, in 515 B.C. That's the first part of the book of Ezra about the rebuilding of the temple. But it took place before Ezra ever showed up. Ezra doesn't show up until about 458 B.C., a good 50-plus years later. King Artaxerxes son of the Persian king Xerxes, who's kind of famous in history, Artaxerxes sends Ezra to Jerusalem to help out there. Persia controls Judah, and they want the Hebrews to be good Hebrews. The Persians even paid for the temple to be rebuilt. That's kind of an odd thing to know. And they're saying, y'all be good Hebrews, as long as you keep paying taxes and tribute to us. So, 458, Ezra shows up. Ezra, the priest of God's way. Ezra, the teacher of God's law. He gets to Jerusalem, and it's a poop show in his mind. Hebrews in Jerusalem, this is where our passage hits, Hebrews in Jerusalem have intermarried with non-Hebrews. Many leaders, even Yahweh's own priests, have married non-Hebrew wives, and kids. They have kids, and Ezra has a meltdown. That's our passage today, Ezra's meltdown. It's very Old Testament, tearing of your clothes, pulling out your hair, pulling out your beard. And Stephanie said to me, Ezra, he, he's such a drama queen. So the people are cut to the quick. Ezra convinces them. If we want to be faithful to Yahweh, we have to get rid of our foreign wives and children. The, the women and children are sent away, divorced, got rid of. The, the purity of Yahweh's people is restored. Good story, right? It's kind of a painful story to get to pay attention to. And let's stand back from it a bit. We're going to take maybe two lessons from Ezra today. One is about this passage. The other is about how we today, followers of Jesus, how we today engage with and use the Old Testament. Two lessons today. One from the passage, the other about how we today, as followers of Jesus, engage with and use the Old Testament in our life of faith. Okay, so the passage. And here's a little bit of context that'll help. Remember when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom in 722? Well, we've heard about the ten lost tribes of Israel. Well, that's where that idea comes from. But it's not like they wandered off in some kind of a massive silver alert. You know, be on the lookout. 
you know, elderly man wearing blue cardigan sweater and slippers walking south on Congress near Walgreens. It's not like that. They didn't just wander off. They didn't disappear either. They dissipated. They dissolved. And yeah, sure, uh, new peoples came into their land, resettled by the Assyrians. And the Hebrews, they just kind of stopped being Hebrews. It'd be like you're like forgetting you're a Texan, and before you know it, you're eating pecani sauce from a jar and Hormel tamales from a can. Wake up, man. We don't do that. We're Texans. Before you know it, people are eating hummus and arugula and poke bowls and edamame, which, by the way, I do love. The northern kingdom, the ten tribes, they didn't leave. They just faded into the scenery. They forgot that they were followers of Yahweh. And it didn't happen overnight. They didn't just wake up one day and say, that's it, I, I'm done, I reject my ancestors, I reject Yahweh. Hey, that Amorite girl's kind of pretty over there. It didn't happen overnight. But by Ezra's time, it's on their mind. The exiles, the return. And they're remembering what happened to the northern kingdom. They're remembering that they dissipated, they dissolved, and then they were gone. There's no ten lost tribes to find, like they're still wandering somewhere. They're just gone into the scenery, and it was on their minds. By Ezra's time, there is no Israel anymore. There is no state. There's no nation. What's left is a province within the greater Persian Empire, the province of Yehud, and it's a backwater of no particular importance. And the truth is, there are not that many Hebrews anymore either. Between those left in Yehud or around Jerusalem and the more that are still in Babylon, you know, the exile happened in 587. Cyrus let people back in 536. Temples rededicated in 516. But Jerusalem is still a mess, just barely hanging on. And the years keep clicking by. They're stuck. Everyone is stuck. And heck, most of the Jews won't even leave Babylon, even though they could. Ezra doesn't show up until 50 years after the new temple was dedicated. I'm trying to paint a picture here. 458 B.C. It was touch and go. Would Israel even survive? How would Yahweh's people continue to exist? And maybe they'll just simply melt into the surrounding peoples, just like the lost ten tribes. And this is the context to Ezra and Nehemiah. This is the why behind this fateful decision, this painful decision, certainly for us to read. This is the why behind the decision to put away their foreign wives. It was about the survival of the Hebrews as the followers of Yahweh, as the people of Yahweh. When I imagine the human cost of what this meant, all these women and children now thrown out in the province of Yehud in 458 B.C., when I consider it, I recoil in horror. 
And yet, the story does speak to me today. And, and that's what we do with the Old Testament. We, we receive it for what it is. We don't ignore it or pretend it away. Rather, we receive it as God's Word and we let it speak into our lives. And how might we do that with Ezra? Now, ironically, perhaps, I'm going to use marriage as an example. No one who gets married sets out to then lose their marriage, at least not consciously. I know a couple married for 52 years, and then they separated. Now, they didn't set out to separate. It just happened. You know, sins of omission or sins of commission, failure to invest in one another, not addressing core issues, growing apart, no one intends for this, but over time, we compromise, we forget, and we fritter away that which might be most important, the law of entropy. Without constant ordering, things fall apart. Things fall apart, just like me. When I was 22 years old, I weighed 185 pounds and I could cycle 125 miles in the middle of a Texas summer, and I could do it fast. I didn't set out to become a 55-year-old man with high blood pressure who could not even bend enough to touch my toes. I did not set out for that to happen. I mean, how did it happen? Things fall apart. I'm 56 now. I've been working at this for about a year, and I can touch my toes now. And since the new year, Stephanie and I have been doing Shannon Briggs's Tabata workouts, this high-intensity interval training. But I got to say, it's embarrassing for me. Stephanie does great, but for me, 10 jumping jacks, and I'm clutching my chest. Like, what happened? And, and it hurts. Everything hurts. What happened? Things fall apart. There's a, there's a book called Younger Next Year. Some of us have maybe seen that. It's actually a series of books and materials, and it's a slap to the face. Time to take stop. Because the truth is, it's touch and go for me. I mean, do I realize the precarious position I'm in at 55 years old with hypertension a body that can't bend, and 30 pounds overweight. Time to get on the right track. Or, will I just settle in in a settled despair? Eh, things fall apart. So what? I'm an old guy. It's not that bad. At least I'm doing better than that slob. Oh, sorry. At least I'm doing better than that slob over there. I'll start exercising next year. Hey, that's a pretty Amorite girl over there. Ezra is a story about not settling for a settled despair. Ezra is a story about doing a hard thing to slap oneself to attention and get on the right track. Take stock, clarify a vision, and then do something about it. I heard once that success is a function of small decisions, small decisions made daily over the course of years. 
so is failure. Small decisions made daily over time. I knew an older guy years ago, Tom Raley. The scuttle was that Tom had read his Bible every morning for 25 years without missing one day. And I got to say, it was true. I believed that it was true. 25 years had not missed one day. And so I asked him, uh, Mr. Raley, what happened? How'd you get started with this? And this is all he said. Because I woke up one day and I realized I was sick of myself for my lack of discipline. And I said to myself, Rayleigh, tomorrow morning, you're going to read your Bible first thing. And then one day became two. And before he knew it, it was a week. And then it was a month. And, and he wasn't sharing that with me to lay a burden on me, like what's wrong with me for not living up to his standard. He gave the grace to praise to God for his grace. But it was true. 25 years Every day started with the Bible and prayer, and he hadn't missed a day by that time. Me, uh, more days than not, the first thing I do is I read my news feeds when I wake up. My phone's right beside the bed, my iPad too. I read my news feeds, and then I read the Bible. If I haven't become distracted with one of a hundred things, which usually happens more days than not. And maybe that's like Ezra, or the message of Ezra to us today. Put away your foreign wives. Put away your news feeds, Ron. Start your day with the Bible. Are you not yet sick of yourself for your lack of discipline? Maybe that's what we can get from Ezra. And January is as good a time as any to take stock. January, as good a time as any to take stock. Now, what's our first reaction to this invitation, this challenge about taking stock? Uh, I'm too busy. I'm just hanging on. Take stock, whatever. Yeah, uh, maybe later. Hey, that's a pretty Amorite girl over there. Taking stock. You know, I get put off by people who get on a kick about something like taking stock. You know, the more Ezra someone else gets around me, the more I may just avoid them. I'm doing fine, thank you very much. Good for you, you're on this kick and all, but if you don't mind, leave me alone. It's kind of like I and maybe more of us, it's kind of like we have a pathological need to present to ourselves and to present to others that everything is okay that I've got my smack together, no worries here. And I'll do this in front of other people and to myself. I'll do this even as I know that my life is disordered on one or more fronts. And yet, here's an invitation to us today. We can pause. We can put ourselves in a place of honest reflection we can lay aside our self-protection and we can ask ourselves the hard question. Where is my life disordered? Where have I settled for a settled despair? Where today is there a chasm between my aspiration and my reality? 
Where are the small decisions that are leading me away from a life of God's best? And what are some small daily decisions today that could best take me to a new reality of wholeness, well-being, provision, and joy in God's name and by His grace? I call it Detox January. And I'm asking you, will you join me? I'm not telling you what your detox January ought to be. And I'm not here to lay burdens on you. I'm just reading Ezra, and it says to me that sometimes we get stuck. Sometimes we settle when we ought not to settle. And by God's grace, we can pause. We can take stock. We can make some hard and right decisions. Put away those foreign wives. Get on the right track. And here's a final thought. We're a community of faith. As as followers of Jesus, we've committed ourselves to living in community, in connection with other followers of Jesus. Like Stephanie, she's community for me. Or my friend Phil, he's community for me. Or my adult kids, they are community for me. And others of us here at the Vine, you are community for me. And we need each other, especially when we're taking stock. And then even more so when we're taking action. Phil, he's a dear friend, and I know how much he cares about me. We're we're colleagues in the work world. He's also my number one golf buddy. So I told him, I told him about detox January and that I'm not drinking alcohol. Phil and I can put down more than a few beers when we're playing golf or after. Now, when I shared this with Phil, before he realized the seriousness for me of what I was sharing, he responded, what? No drinking? You mean you're not going to be fun anymore? And then I told him the bigger story about taking stock, Ezra, foreign wives, making right and hard decisions. And Phil felt bad about what he said. He did. And then he asked me what he could do to help as my friend. And to jab him a little bit, I said, well, the first thing you can do is not say you're not going to be fun anymore. Let's start with that. We need one another. We're a community of faith especially when we're taking stock. Especially when we're taking stock. And then even more so when we're taking action. And I'm very thankful that Phil is my friend. Okay, summing up. We're doing a six-week series called Rebuild. Today's lesson is about Ezra. 458 B.C., put away those foreign wives. The Bible invites us, challenges us to take stock and take action. Put away those foreign wives. And we've actually covered another lesson today. How do we today engage with and use the Old Testament in our lives? Well, I hope I've modeled this. First, we we take the Old Testament for what it is, as it is. We don't skip over the parts we don't like, like Ezra and his mass divorce event. Rather, in God's name and with Jesus at the center of our faith, we say, 
Holy Spirit, speak to me. Guide me. What would you, Holy Spirit, say to me? What would you say to us today from this story about Ezra and the foreign wives? This is how we engage with the Old Testament in our lives of Christian, Jesus-centered faith. And even better that we do this with brothers and sisters in Christ at our side. So, rebuild. Six weeks in Ezra and Nehemiah. Today, it was Ezra and the foreign wives. Take stock. Where have we settled for a settled despair? Where are we stuck? high center, as my dad used to say? Where are the small daily decisions that are keeping us from God's best? And what decisions, what new actions could take us to a renewed experience of wholeness, provision, and effectiveness in our lives and faith? Are we willing? Are we willing to ask and to ask and to act?